Thank you, music team. We are uh, continuing our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we started last week, so if uh, this, this may be an unfamiliar book to you, uh, but it is located uh, after the book of Proverbs, so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You can go ahead and start finding your way there now. And so after, after last week's uh, sermon, uh, my more optimistic friends uh, came up to me and said, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I don't think life is full of vanity. My more uh, stoic, uh, cynical friends came up and said, I love Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and my hoarder friends came up and said, you mean I have to get rid of all my stuff? Um, so Ecclesiastes is a, is a curious book. It's a, it's a hard book to read, and if you're joining us for the first time, I, I want to, I feel like I need to put some sort of disclaimer uh, on, on the front of the book. Uh, Ecclesiastes is wrestling with the big questions of life, particularly this question of where do we find meaning? What is the meaning of life? But in order to get an answer to that question, in order to, to build a good, solid answer, uh, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes or the speaker of Ecclesiastes, uh, our translation calls him the preacher, he has to do some deconstructing first. He's going to dismantle some things uh, in your life. Uh, he's going to clean some things out. And that's not always a pleasant process, but it's a, it's a good one. Um, and so the message that we heard last week, right, the message that... Uh, the preacher starts off with is he says, all is vanity. And now that doesn't mean meaningless. So if your translation says meaningless, uh, that's not the message of Ecclesiastes. The preacher is not saying that life is meaningless. But when he uses that word vanity, he's saying that life is like a wisp of smoke. Uh, it looks solid. It looks like you can grab a hold of it. But when you try to grab a hold of it, it slips through your fingers. And before you know it, it's gone. Life is short. And life is hard to get a hold of. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to say. And I, I don't want us to miss the point. Uh, the, the preacher is not trying to depress us. He is not trying to make us miserable, cynical people. He's trying to make us think. He's, he wants us to take a good, hard look at life and ask some good, hard questions so that he can point us to where joy can be found. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, a reformer from a, a past era, said that we should read this noble little book every day precisely because it so firmly rejects sentimental religiosity. What in the world does that mean? In other words, Ecclesiastes helps us reject mushy Christianity, what I might call uh, hallmark Christianity, right? You know, the, the card is always so perfect. The scene is serene. It's beautiful. Everything's nice and tidy, right? If you watch the Hallmark Channel, I'm sorry. All right, like the, the right girl always ends up with the right guy. Everything's perfect. But that's not really Christianity. That's, that's, that's escapism wearing a cheesy Christian t-shirt. And so Ecclesiastes aims to help us 
be real, right? The problem with Hallmark Christianity is there's no real people in it. There's no fallenness. There's no misery. There's no sin. Uh, And so it's not real. And so Ecclesiastes aims to help us deal with the real world. But he's he's not trying to steal our joy. He's trying to wake us up to where real joy can be found. Now, we began last week, and in verse 3 of chapter 1, he asked the question, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils, right? What do we, what do we gain ultimately from everything that we do in life? Um, we're gonna, he's going to continue to answer that question today in chapter 2, which is where we're going to be, right? But he's, what he's doing is he's taking us on a test drive, right? He's got this thesis that life is a, is a vapor, uh, that we can't really gain a whole lot out of life, uh, ultimately. Uh, but he wants to now take that on a test drive through the different areas of his experience. So he continues in chapter 2. If you would uh, find chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter together. We won't read it together. You read it silently. I'll read it out loud. Here is God's word. I said in my heart... Come, now I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I'd expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For if the wise... For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life 
Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and the striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to some words that really are maybe depressing to some of us, uh, hard to swallow. Would you help us? Help us to understand and apply uh, and make use of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad you're still sitting in the room after reading through all of that. So, as I mentioned, what the preacher is doing here is he's taking us on a, a virtual tour of his life experience. Uh, it actually starts back in chapter 1, verse 12, but that would have been a whole lot to read. Uh, but what the preacher does is he kind of takes on the persona of King Solomon, the wisest and wealthiest king who ever lived, uh, and, and basically, to, to, basically to say, I had it all, right? Uh, I, everything that you could have, I had. And so what he's doing is he's, he's taking us on a tour through his life experience, and he's, he's showing us that each one of these roads that we go down really ends up in the same place. Uh, and so right, the, the, the goal of that, right, he's, he examines really three areas of life that we're all familiar with, pleasure, wisdom, and work. Right? All of us pursue some kind of entertainment, um, some of us, many of us, uh, pursue wisdom, uh, and uh, all of us usually work. And so these are areas of life that we're familiar with. And what the preacher does is he goes into each one of these kind of searching for ultimate meaning. And he comes to a dead end in each one. The pursuit of each one ends in a frustrating place. But then at the very end, he kind of gives us a ray of, of light, one that we're going to hear continually as we go through the book, uh, just so that we can see where it is that we can find joy in this life under the sun. Um, Ecclesiastes is not a, well, really no book in the Bible is a one-off book, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, you can't really, Ecclesiastes kind of has to build over time, right? Um, we talked about this last year when we looked at the book of Proverbs and we talked about wisdom. Wisdom is not interested in giving you life hacks, Right now you can like now, for instance, you can go 
anything you want to learn how to do, you can find on, on YouTube, right? Uh, I installed a dishwasher by going to YouTube, okay? So, um, but, but wisdom doesn't work that way. Uh, wisdom is not something that you just glean from watching a video. It's something that has to build over time, and it has to build through life experience. So I would encourage you, even if some of these passages feel like hammer blows to the heart, that you hang, hang with me, hang with this book. Uh, so that it can build something lasting in you. All right, so first, we're going to explore pleasure. Uh, We're going to look at the dead end of pleasure. Um, Verse 1 of chapter 2, the preacher says, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Right, so uh, you may be the person uh, who works for the weekend, right? This is is that person, right? Yeah, I, I... I, I kind of like my job, but really, I'm in, it, I'm in it for the pleasure. I'm in it for the hobby. I'm in it for the football, for the hunting. Whatever, whatever your pursuit is, wherever it is you find pleasure, the preacher goes there first, right? Uh, see if we can find some meaning there. But I want you to notice that, th- that this isn't like frat party pleasure. Uh, he says, for instance, in verse 3, that he searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So twice he says that his heart still guides him. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not losing himself in his pleasure, but he is pursuing it as an ultimate end. So he drinks good wine, presumably with good friends. He builds cool stuff, right? He builds houses and gardens and parks and pools, right? Lots of great public works. Uh, so um, he's very accomplished. He's very wealthy, right? He acquires servants and silver and gold. He has entertainment, right? Singers. He even has sex, right? All of those areas of life that we aim to find enjoyment in, he goes for it. In other words, right? In fact, in verse 10, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. The preacher pursues every pleasure he can find. He has the means to do it, so he gets, uh, he gets what he wants. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is there, is there anything wrong with all of those things that he pursues? Is it wrong uh, to build great works? Is it wrong to accrue wealth? Right? Is it wrong to be entertained? I would say no. But did you notice how much he talks about himself in those verses? I did this. I built this for myself. I, me, my, myself. Um, So it's a very self-oriented view, a very self-oriented pursuit. And what was the result? Look at verse 11. I looked at all that my hands had done, the toil I'd expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. There's that word. It was futile. It was something I tried to grab hold of, and I just couldn't ever get there. He says it was a a striving after wind. One uh, author says that this word can also be used of shepherding. So if you've ever chased animals around a field, I want you to imagine chasing wind and how futile that is, right? Uh, When I read that, a, a striving after wind or a chasing after the wind... Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen little kids at the beach chasing seagulls? 
right? It takes them a minute to realize the seagulls aren't going to be caught, right? They, uh, you know, so, that, you know, that you get there the first day at the beach, everybody's excited, and you see, like, this flock of birds just covering the beach, and, like, these little, little kids just run right up to them, and what do the birds do? You know, they, they fly off, and they land over here. Then what do the little kids do? They run over there, right? And then maybe by like the third or fourth time, they figure out like, oh, what if I sneak up on them? All right, so then they like tiptoe. And you see like the bird's heads turning like, man, what are these kids going to do? And then they fly off again. That's the pursuit. That's vanity. Kids chasing seagulls on the beach. So pleasure's a dead end. It's not going to give us what we want. What about wisdom? Right? Maybe you're a learner. Maybe your hobby is, is reading and knowing things. You're not the, the pleasure seeker. Your life is more measured and thoughtful. What about you? The preacher actually begins talking about wisdom back in chapter 1 in verse 12 when he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And he says it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He says in verse 14, I've seen everything done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Why? Verse 15, because what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. It doesn't matter how wise you become, there will always be things you cannot explain. There will always be things that you cannot cannot make sense of. Right? It's like, the, it's like the, the puzzle box is missing a couple of pieces. No matter how much time you toil in putting the puzzle together, something's always going to be lacking, no matter how wise you are. In fact, he says in verse 18, the more wisdom you have, the more frustration you tend to have. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh, the more that you're aware of, the more that you tend to grieve. You see that, that life is not all roses and sunshine. Is wisdom useless then? Should we not pursue wisdom? No. If you look over in chapter 2, verse 12, he goes back to considering wisdom. Uh, and in verse 13, he says, I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, just like there's more gain in light than in darkness. So wisdom is better Right? I'd rather walk in the light than in the dark. Wisdom gives you that. But even wisdom has its limits. Verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head. The fool walks in darkness. That's good. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Wisdom may help you live longer and better than the fool. But you still won't live forever. Death comes to both wise and foolish. And, verse 16, you probably won't be remembered. Who are all of these people? Every single one of these stained glass windows has a name on the bottom of it. Does anyone know who these people are? I don't. church has been here a hundred years. I can name four of the pastors in that time. And one of them is kind of cheating because it's me. Right? Uh, so even even the wise, for all of their wisdom, won't necessarily be remembered. All right? Well, uh, 
So that pursuit uh, leaves us again at vanity and a striving after wind. We're still children chasing seagulls. So how about work? Maybe we can find some meaning in work. And so the preacher turns his eyes there. But his evaluation comes pretty quickly. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Why? Because he says, as hard as I work, I'm going to have to leave it to somebody else. And I don't know whether he's going to be wise or foolish. Right? Um, All of my hard work will be left to someone else. Uh, So you can can work your tail off. You can apply all of your God-given wisdom and skill. And you might even build an amazing empire. Right? Uh, You'll increase your company's bottom line. You'll have power, influence. You may serve more people and make a great impact. But one day, you'll leave it all behind, and someone else will take it, and you will have absolutely no control over what they do with it. If you're living to work, if that's where you're finding meaning and significance, then I want you to hear the preacher's evaluation. Look in verse 23. It says, all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation, a grief. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Does that sound familiar? So busy, so so, so needing to control things and make things happen that you can't even sleep at night. Your mind's always running. You can't even rest. Vanity, vanity's all is vanity. All right, thanks, Debbie Downer. So where does that leave us if... We don't find ultimate significance in our pleasure or in our wisdom or in our work, right? Death is going to remove those things from us. Then where does that leave us? What do we do? Where can we find some joy? Look in verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, wait a minute. Didn't we just say that, that pleasure was a, a dead end? I mean, is this, is this just another way of saying, eat, that, that old slogan you may have heard, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Is that, is that what the preacher's saying? Is that his message after all? Does he kind of circle back around and change his mind like, all right, well, I guess we'll just go back to enjoyment? No. No, just look. Up to this point in the story, who, who has been at the center of the story? Himself, I, right? I did this. It was my wisdom. I built this. I sought pleasure. Me, my, right? The striving self is at the center of the frame. And where does the striving self always end up? Frustrated, vexed, despairing. But now, who enters the frame? Look at verse 24 again. This also I saw is from the hand of of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the first time, now God enters the frame. And where do food and drink and work come from? They come from God. He's the giver. They're all gifts from the great giver. Author David Gibson writes this. He says, now... At the end of the preacher's quest for happiness, he discovers where it comes from. 
not from his striving, but from God's giving. The place where we find true enjoyment is not ultimately somewhere out in the future. If I can just work hard enough, if I can just provide enough, if I, if I can just get to retirement, right? Happiness and joy is this, is this finish line somewhere out there in the vague future. And the preacher says, stop it. Look at your daily gifts. Look at the food and the drink and the work that God has given you and enjoy those things as gifts from his hand. That's where we find happiness. You do plan. That's wise. You should save for retirement. That's a good idea. But don't, don't forestall your joy into some indetermined future. Enjoy today. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you today, right? Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He meant by that prayer that we live every single day as needy, dependent creatures. And the sooner we realize that, the happier we will be. We are not God. And so the message of Ecclesiastes, at least for us this morning, is enjoy God's daily gifts. How do I do that? Here's a few suggestions, and you may think of some others. First, embrace your limits. We're finite, we're needy, we're dependent, and we're made for a relationship with an infinite good and giving God. So realize, go ahead and realize, set your mind right now, today I'm not going to try to be God. I'm not going to try to control my family. I'm not going to try to control the future. I'm not, I'm not going to try to make things permanent that, are, that God is not meant to be permanent. I'm going to embrace my limits and recognize that he is God and he is good and I can trust him. And so that may mean, you know what? You go to sleep. Right? It may mean that you actually, instead of entertaining yourself to death or working yourself to death, you put down the phone, you put down the to-do list, and you go to bed at a, at a good hour. Right? And you sleep. And what, is, and what does the Bible say about our sleep? That he gives to his beloved sleep. It's a gift. It's a gift that we ignore all the time. But it comes from God. So let's rest. Sabbath. Take a whole day to rest. One day in seven. God gives you six days to do your work. Take the seventh as a Sabbath day. Stop your doing. Stop your striving. And rest. Embrace those limits. Believe. Believe that God will actually keep the universe spinning if you stop, because you know what? He will. As my friend, I, I think I said this maybe last week or the week before last, as my friend used to tell me, Kevin, you're just not that important. That's not a depressing thought. That's a freeing thought, right? Because then I can just do what I need to do and then lay it down and trust God to, to handle the rest. Enjoy your life. Turn off the phone and play a board game with your kids. Take your spouse on a date. Watch a movie with a friend. Go for a hike. Enjoy those daily gifts. Work will be there tomorrow. It'll come back around. It's okay. The only person who ever finishes his to-do list is God. All right? Be thankful. Be thankful. Give thanks. Uh, I want you to end the day. Try, try, this, try this this evening as you're... Getting ready to go to bed, 
Maybe it's after you've gotten in the bed. I want you to think through your day and all of the gifts that God has given you. And just say thank you. Say thank you for those good gifts and then be content. Be content with what God has given you. Enjoy those daily gifts. There's one more thing that I want you to do, and this actually is more directed at the young, though it applies equally to the old, and it's to explore your motives. Ask yourself the hard questions right now, particularly for those of you who are young adults, and so your, your life is really just beginning. What are you building? What, are, what, are you, what is your aim in life? What are you striving for? What do you want to accomplish? What are you working so hard to do? Ask yourself that ultimate question. Am I building something? Am I aiming to build anything that's going to last? Or am I, am I embracing reality? That you know what? One day, the merry-go-round will stop, and I'll get off. And somebody else will jump on, and it'll go again. Are, you, are, we, are we living with that reality in mind? And to that, I want you to hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? (laughs) For all our worrying, does it increase the time? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What do we eat, or what do we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek or strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Where's your compass needle pointing? What's your ultimate aim? Is it just gathering? Are you, are you needlessly busy just accruing stuff? Let me encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You were made for a relationship with a good and giving God. He wants to be your father. In fact, he sent his son Jesus to make it so. And so this morning, I would encourage you to put your trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Hard words, but words that we need to hear. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us solid people. Not mushy people flying from this to that, always looking for ultimate significance in things that cannot provide them. But would you make us Solid people, as John Newton said, people who know solid joy and lasting treasure because we know you. And would you help us to gain perspective on the rest of life? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond.